Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Real Talk in Real Time, your podcast that gives you behind the scenes access to some really awesome creative souls to hear how they keep things real in their lives and passion projects. Mostly, you know, informal, off the cuff musings, but definitely a lot of real talk. I'm your host, Jay Herman, storyteller and yes, badassery advocate. <laughs> Today, my guest is author and career advisor, Peg Chang. Her mission is to help people survive and thrive. Before becoming a full-time author and entrepreneur, Peg worked 35 jobs, including one as a fabric cutter, another as a public toilet researcher. Oh, I can't wait to ask about that. And some of her most rewarding careers have been as a career counselor, an academic advisor, and a pre-law advisor. When she's not writing, advising, teaching, she loves reading all kinds of books and magazines and running her company, Plaid Frog Press, with her husband, Marcus. You can find Peg and learn more about her at her website, pegchang.com. Peg, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. How are you feeling? I'm feeling great. Thanks, Jay, so much for having me on the show. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. Well, we mentioned, we talked beforehand, how we've sort of been connected for a while since the INF Club. So I feel like this this chat is long overdue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm just I'm just happy that you asked me to be on it. I'm, I'm really happy to be talking to you. So speaking of the INF Summit, I kind of want to dive into that. How did you get involved in the INF Summit and what was your experience like? So I got involved with it because I've been Twitter friends with Lauren Sopola for, for a while. Um, we just started following each other on Twitter and I, I love um, a lot of the posts that she would put on her website. And so I would tweet those out and I love her INFJ writer book and her INFJ revolution book. And I think just from being friendly on Twitter after a while, she emailed me and said, Hey, I'm doing this this summit, this online summit called INF summit. And I'm wondering if you would like to be a guest on there. And I was happy to be on there. Um, but then I said, you know, I'm an ENFJ, not INFJ. Oh. <laughs> and she's like, you are. Oh, and I'm like, so if you're okay with that, cause I relate, <laughs> I relate to INFJ, even though I always test as ENFJ, cause I'm sort of right on the border between introvert and extrovert. And she's like, oh, I got to check with um, my co-host, Jazz. I'll get back to you. And <laughs> luckily, Jazz did. Yeah, yeah. So I'm the only ENFJ on the summit. And um, I just had so much fun talking to, to Lauren and Jazz. And it was actually after talking to them that I realized that I should only be interviewed by people who are INF. <laughs> really? Why is that? Well, because INF people actually really, they really listen. And their questions are, are really thoughtful and uh, deep and interesting to me. And yeah, I've done other interviews before where afterwards I felt kind of, kind of drained, actually. And after doing the interview with Lauren and Jazz, I felt, well, not to be punny, but I felt really jazzed. <laughs> <laughs> I felt really jazzed. I felt really energetic, felt great, felt like I had... Um, just had a really great conversation with, with two friends, uh, mm -hmm. like a, 
well, strangely, a, a recorded deep conversation, deeper conversation with two friends. Uh, and that doesn't usually happen when I have hmm. interviews. Now, did you find, though, going through the summit and actually listening to other interviews and connecting with other INFs that were included, did you feel like the outcast? Did you feel like, oh, my God, you know, I don't I don't relate or, you know, that these introvert people, there's something wrong with them. Like, how did you, how did you internalize some of those interviews? So far, I've really liked most of the interviews I've listened to. And I can relate to a lot of them because even though I'm ENFJ, again, I'm really kind of, if you look, when you, when I've had my Myers-Briggs analyze, I'm really, I'm very close to, to the border. If you're looking, if you're thinking of a, um, uh, a continuum from, extrovert on one side, introvert on the other. I'm very, very close to the middle. And so I easily can flip into one or the other. And because I'm a writer and um, I spend a lot of time alone doing my work, um, Mm -hmm. I can very much relate to introverts and INFJ and, and some INFPs as well. So when I was listening to the other interviews, I was like, oh, these are my people. These are, these are the type of people that I can really talk to and really learn from. I, I totally get what they're trying, what they're saying. Um, and I didn't really know that prior to the summit. I had done research on Myers-Briggs and had studied it for my career advising work and other things, but I hadn't really gotten that deep into um, INFJ and understanding more about INFs until I read uh, Lauren's books. Nice. That that's actually that's very encouraging to hear. Um, I find in my experience, friends that I know that they're you know extroverted, that their thinking is what's wrong with you, <laughs> <laughs> because there is the assumption that I'm an extrovert, you know, being an actress and mm-hmm. you know, kind of being out there in the world, and that's just not the case. And so for me, I agree that being among my peeps, you know, people that I knew would understand me as a person and, you know, how I process things. And then also too, yes, talking to Lauren and Jazz, they are a big part of the reason why I started doing this podcast Mm -hmm. because of that energy that you talked about. It's like, I felt like if I can feel this way in talking to people, the way that I feel when I talk to them, this shit is like, (laughs) I want to do this all the time. I want to talk to people and I just, I want to learn about them and I want to be excited about what they're doing. And, you know, and so they are a big reason Mm. for, for why I feel so compelled to talk with other creative people and especially people that, you know, kind of cool with the whole introvert thing. (laughs) That's so great. That's so great to hear that. Cause yeah, I mean, I remember hearing on one of your podcasts about how when you see people smiling at you at the produce section mm-hmm. of the grocery store, it's like crack to you when you're, you see them smile and then you, <laughs> yep. you help them. It's like crack. And that's, yeah, what you just said about the, um, the conversations with other INFs, I feel the same way. It just feels, it just feels right. It really mm-hmm. feels right. And it feels very, um, very enriching, you know, really nourishing. And I'm just, I'm so glad that, that we both connected through Lauren and Jazz. I, I really am grateful to them. And I mean, especially now where <clears throat> there are so many opportunities to sort of be plugged in, you know, like Zoom is taking over oh the world of people connecting. 
but it's not the same. It's not the same as like truly being connected to someone. And I don't want to say at a soul and soul level, but it's, it's a lot of times it's those unspoken words as well, which I think we sort of got the, that out of the way with the summit because it gave us an opportunity to listen to the interviews and read about other INFs without actually having to do like this internet search, you know, mm-hmm. where do I find people that can, I can relate to. You know, so the summit, and of course they, they had no way of knowing this in advance, but having that um, was timely because now we're connected with so many people and, you know, thousands of people are now more aware of what it means to be an introvert or what it means to be an INF, you know? So I, I'm, I'm really grateful again that they had it, especially the timing of it. So yeah, grateful that you and I are connected. Me too. So let me back up. Where where did you grow up? Where are you from and where, where are you now? I grew up in Southern California. Uh, I was born in, in L.A. County and I grew up in Huntington Beach, California, which is like a surf town in Orange County. And um, I went to school at UC Irvine, in, oh. also in Southern California. And then after I got into graduate school at the University of Washington, which we all call the UW, I moved to Seattle and I didn't, I only knew one person who was not someone I really knew very well. I pretty much didn't know anyone when I came up here, but I've been here now longer than, than I've been in California. In fact, I just, I just passed it. So I I moved up when I was 23 and I've now been in Washington in Seattle for 25 years. Wow. So needless to say, you like it. (laughs) <laughs> I do like it. I do like it. But I have to say, uh, more recently, um, my husband and I both, he's a local. He grew up in Washington, even though he was also born in California, but he was only there when he was like, you know, from baby to about one year old. We both have noticed how the older we get, the more we like having uh, more sun. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it has been interesting. Like we've realized like we have to of course, now during the pandemic, we can't really do it, but we have to plan more times to vacation in the sun because mm-hmm. the older we get, the more we're very susceptible to our environment. And when I was here in my 20s, I mean, I just, I just, I mean, I powered through it when I would, you know, feel kind of down from the weather. And I definitely went through it. Like people warned me, they said, you know, you're going to go from SoCal to Seattle where it's dark and gray, like you're going to feel effects. And they were right. I did feel the effects and I, felt them for um, about four to five years, seasonal affective disorder. Uh, Mm -hmm. And I had so many lights (laughs) in my bedroom. Like I had major, major lights. Like it was just like, you know, it was like SoCal in my bedroom. It was very bright, very warm in there. Uh, And that's how I was able to get through it. But over time I got used to it. But now that I'm in my, you know, late forties, I'm like, you know, I need more I need more temperate weather. I need more sun. Right. Um, but I still love, I still love the the nature out here and how I can live in the city, but I'm actually really, really close to nature. You know, I, I will say uh, the two, t- no, probably total of three years that I lived in Washington. Like I was there for a couple years after college. And then I was just there last year. <clears throat> It was probably unseasonably sunny. (laughs) So I didn't get the full on effect of, you know, the weeks and weeks and months and months of the gray and rainy weather that people, 
you know, kind of know Washington State for, but I did have a sun lamp. Mm. And that was so very helpful, especially, you know, because it's not just you miss the sun, it's your body's craving the vitamin D. Yes. So, you know, definitely I, I recommend the sun lamp because it, it, it certainly helped me for the, the short amount of time that I was there. Yeah. I think you lucked out during those years. <laughs> I, you know, personally, I want to say that I brought the sunshine with me. That's, just- <laughs> That's right. Because you're from Florida. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll, we'll just keep it at that. So your time uh, in school, did you study creative writing or like how, how did you go into the life of being an author? I didn't study creative writing. And um, so I don't have any, I don't have formal formal education. I didn't have any formal education in in it until I started working full time at the University of Washington later. And then um, in academic advising and career counseling. And then during that time, I was able to take two year long classes, one in screenwriting and one in writing, writing children's literature. And they were both through the UW extension um, department. So yeah, so it was kind of like, I always liked to write as a kid and I always made up stories and I, I drew a lot. I was actually more of an artist than I was a writer growing up. I was definitely way more into art, but I always made up stories and it just made sense that if you drew something that you would make up a story about it, like that just felt natural. And, mm-hmm. um, but I never thought I would be a writer. I, I just, I, yeah, I just, I never thought about that. I, I really wanted to be an artist. And so but my parents were totally not supportive of that being uh, immigrants from t- very poor immigrants from Taiwan. They were just like, no, like you need to be like a dentist. And oh. they, they weren't even into like choices. Like I knew some Asian parents were like, okay, doctor, dentist, lawyer, engineer, which one do you want to be? My parents were like, yeah, dentist. That's it. They just <laughs> oh, wow. drilled that into me year after year. And it was really, um, well, it, was, it got old really fast. Um, and as a kid, I don't know how I knew, but as a kid, probably because I was an artist, I could tell early on, I'm like, this, is, this ain't going to work out. <laughs> wow. This ain't going to work out. At some point, they're going to be very crushed <laughs> when I let them know that none of that dentist stuff is going to work out. Uh, they were not, they were not happy with that. But so in college, I, I just basically picked something that sounded interesting to me that wasn't art, but that would be, you know, decent enough to get them to pay for my college tuition. So I majored in environmental analysis and design. And I, I did enjoy a lot of the classes because I'm a, I'm, I'm very much into the environment. And, and then I was able to, through um, extreme luck and a little bit of skill, I really think a lot of it was luck. I got a fellowship to continue my studies in environmental policy at the UW. And so I got my master's there. And so I was all set to just, you know, work in environmental policy or some type of public policy type work. And um, I did it for a very short period of time for maybe about a year and a half. And I'm like, this is not my bag at all. And so um, having had many jobs before, like in school, I had many, many jobs. And then graduate school, I had jobs. And then after graduate school, I had quite a few jobs. Um, I was like, you know, of all the jobs I've had, I really liked the career counseling uh, work the best. And so while I was still working in a different field, I, I started to get some experience in, in career counseling, career coaching, and was able to 
get into the UW as a career counselor. And, and then that parlayed into academic advising and pre-law advising. And so those are kind of the three areas where I spent almost two decades of my career. And, and then it was while I was working full-time for the UW that I found out about the year-long writing programs available through their extension program, which is, is basically, um, like taking classes from people who've actually done it. So it's not, you don't get college, you're not getting credit towards a degree at the university, but you are getting credit for taking courses from practitioners in the field and which I was way more interested in. So when I found out about the screenwriting program where you could take classes from people who had actually written scripts and had them produced, I was like, Oh, sign me up for that. I have, I have the money now. I've been working full time. I can make the time for it. And so that year long screenwriting and then the year long writing for children, those, those two programs really launched my creative writing um, career and just my desire to actually become a writer, like actually make that a goal. And that really wasn't until my thirties. Yeah. So I, I, I have lots of questions about, that. However, I have to go back and ask about these 35 jobs, woman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Tell me about these 35 jobs and how and when. (laughs) You know, a lot, okay. A lot of them came when I was, a a lot of them happened when I was a student and actually uh, quite a few happened when I wasn't a student, but basically I'm one of those people that really likes to do more than one thing. So when, so when I was in college, I usually had three jobs at a time, usually, and each one, not, not every one was that many hours. So I might be have one that was five and one that was 10 and then another one that was 10. So I was always working part time, but I would have different jobs. And, um, in graduate school, surprisingly in graduate school, I only had one job but then after graduate school, I had also, again, started doing multiple jobs. And, um, and then after that, I started doing more full-time jobs and I would just, you know, change them every four to six years. So then at some point I just started keeping track because I'm like, there's so many jobs. And I'm like, I really do want to, I was mostly keeping track for my resume, but I thought, oh, just, just for kicks, I should just keep track and write this down. So I started typing it all out. And then I realized, oh my God, it's been 35 jobs. <laughs> and actually, to be honest, it's actually increased over that, but 35 just sounds so good to me that I just keep it at 35. Interesting. So do you remember there was that skit in Saturday Night Live? I think it was one of the Wayne brothers. Yes. Uh, they would do so how many times he had 35 job months that is so hilarious (laughs) that you say that because it was actually from in living color yeah and when it came out when that came out and that because i used to love watching in living color i could relate to that so much i'm like i am that jamaican character right there like i have 35 (laughs) jobs man yeah that's it's so funny that you mentioned that because i (laughs) i think about that yeah, I think. I mean, that's exactly what I thought of when I read that. <laughs> it's like she could totally do that whole skit. I mean, granted, I could do it too, but just not with thirty-five. <laughs> I mean, oh Lord, that, yeah. that's a really yeah, that's a good amount. <laughs> it's funny because I used to think. Well, I used to love it. I just love having different jobs and just learning 
a lot of different things, but most people thought I was a little bit odd or crazy. And it wasn't until um, last year I read this book called um, uh, "You Can." I think it's "You Can Be Everything" or "How to Be Everything" by Emily Wapnick, and she mm-hmm. talks about people called multipotentialites, which are basically mm-hmm. what she is and what I what I am. And I, I never thought of it that way, but um, she talks about people who actually have this exact same personality trait, where you have to have many different things going at one time, which when I read your bio and started reading your blog and listening to your podcast, I realized, oh, Jay's a multi-potentialite as well. Um, And it's just normal. It feels normal to me, but for probably 90% of the people I meet, they think it's odd. Yeah. I mean, you know, the traditional sense of graduating school, getting into a job and staying into that job until you die. Mm -hmm. It's very pervasive (laughs) even now. Well, maybe not so much now, obviously with everything that we have going on in the world and, you know, the gig economy was really starting to get more of the limelight before the pandemic happened. And so maybe that's not so much the case anymore. And hopefully going forward, that won't be what, you know, comes out of this is that we need to go back to that type of thinking. But yeah, it's, it's, it's taboo or it's, it's, you know, one of those things that's not looked upon very well because there isn't stability in it. Or so it appears as though there isn't stability in having, you know, more than one outlet or in my case, you know, having, Oh, you're, you're being flighty. You're, Mm -hmm. you're, you're flitting from one thing to the other without recognizing that I'm able to do a lot of things at one time. I don't necessarily have to put something down completely in order to do something else. And that type of mindset I learned for years, I took that for granted because for me, it's like, it it feels normal. Of course I'm able to do this, but not everyone can do that. And that's not, it's a blessing for me. And now I kind of feel like I feel sorry for you (laughs) 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 that your brain doesn't work this way because now you're so limited. Oh, you poor thing. Totally. (laughs) No, I can so relate to that because, yeah, I did feel like an oddball for many years, Mm -hmm. even though I thought it was okay. Like I always totally thought it was okay. Personally, I'd be like, you know, it's okay to like having three jobs. Uh, It's okay. It's just that other people don't get it. They don't. They really don't get it. And I did have to fight against that whole flighty, flighty stereotype mm-hmm. too, and write my resume in certain ways so that I, you know, hopefully appeared less flighty. Um, even though, yeah, I thought, I thought it was, you know, it was good. It was good that I could do this. And mm-hmm. like you, I, it wasn't, it hasn't been until more recently that I've been like, oh no, this is like, this is my superpower. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I think too, a big part of how I've been able to accept and acknowledge and feel really proud about being multi-passionate is I just don't have the energy to try and submit or conform to other people's standards or traditions. I, I just can't. It like, it drains me want to try and explain or to, to sell someone on the idea of, you know, like I'm, I can be okay if you just understood <laughs> I, I don't have the energy anymore. So it's, it's out of 
mental necessity, emotional, my emotional well-being to just not try anymore. It's kind of like, if you don't get it, you're not my people anyway. So why do I want to try and convince you? You know, that is like, talk about, yeah, speak the truth from the mountaintop. That's, (laughs) I I so relate to that because I've reached that place too, where I'm just like, why do I have to explain all this? Mm-hmm. It's right. obvious to me that some people, when you tell them about what's happening, or they ask you, like, why did you start this? And now six months later, you're doing this. And now you're doing like three things when before mm-hmm. you're only doing one. And I don't get it. Like, I just don't really feel the need to explain it as much as I used to. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's the other beauty of connecting with other people that do get it, because then it's like, you can preach, but you're preaching to the choir and it just feels so much better than trying to, you know, win someone over or, you know, and I feel, oh my goodness, for the folks, especially the young, the younger generation of folks who they haven't gotten to that point yet. And so they're still feeling the angst, the necessity to try and conform. Oh, you know, it's like, I just, I I, want to just send out the love in the universe and say, stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. You're going to feel so much better when you release that. But, you know, we're all on our own path and we have to come to those realizations on our own. Very true. Which, though, as a career counselor and academic advisor, do you ever find that you're able to connect with people that have that multi-passionate you know, process and so that you're able to kind of direct them and, and give them you know, some encouragement that what they're feeling and what they're doing is okay? Uh, yeah, I have encountered some, not not a ton, but I'm hoping that uh, I'll, I'll actually attract a lot more multi-potentialites, multi-pods, multi-passionates over the coming years. Because basically, so my career advising practice just opened. It just opened, even though I've done career counseling and academic advising for almost 20 years, and then was a private career coach uh, even before that happened. It's only been recently that I decided, you know, I really want to go back to my roots of helping people with their careers. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think that because of what I've learned as a multipod and through all my different jobs, I'm in a much better place to help people understand uh, mm-hmm. what they want from this journey um, to be able to listen to them and help them draw that out. And then to reassure them that the journey may look different than what you think. And that that's okay, because I've reached a point in my life where I can look back on it now and realize what what happened and how all the different jobs, surprisingly, in very strange ways, they all kind of interwove in different ways some of which mm-hmm. didn't appear um, until much, much later where I looked back like 20 years ago and was like, oh, that job is helping me now in my business. Right. It's like all these different um, like pieces of a woven quilt, you might say, that are all coming mm-hmm. together. But it's only in hindsight that I, that I can see it all. And so with that knowledge and, and that wisdom, I think I'm actually going to be a much better career advisor now than I was when I started out in it more than 20 years ago. I love hearing that because as you can imagine, and probably you've experienced this, that there are people that they don't want to evolve in that way. You know, it's like they, they, 
they have this mindset of what a career or what a life should look like. And they're going to stick to that to the day that they die, <laughs> yeah. you know? And it's like, it's very refreshing to hear that you've embraced that within yourself and that you're, you're okay to kind of work within, I won't say confines because it's not, but to work within that with other people, you know, it's like, for me, this birthday this year, I think is probably the first time that I was able to say, you know what, with the wisdom that I have now, the experience that I've gained, if I'm lucky, I have just as many years as the time I've been alive to do cool shit. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> you know, I wouldn't want to go back into my twenties because there was so much that I didn't know back then that now I'm so very grateful. All of those decisions that I thought of course, trying to adhere to other people's standards or the wrong choice or the wrong path. I see now, oh my God, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't be where I am had I not had those experiences, had I not had those many different jobs or had I not taken on that, you know, skill or that talent or doing that research that no one else understood at the time. Mm. So I'm glad to hear that this, you know, is a good place for you as opposed to I've talked to a lot of women at this stage. They're they're feeling like it's an albatross. Like this is something I need to shake. This is something that I need to to fix because the, it's the thing that's wrong with me, and it's why I can't succeed. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh my god, shoot me now! Wow. I mean, they think of their multi passionate or multi pod um, personality as being a, a weakness. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. It's it's something to be rooted out and <laughs> killed. <Jesus>. Yeah. <laughs> That's society. Well, that's society. That's what society tells you. Society says you have to specialize and you have to become excellent at what you specialize in. And um, I read a book this year, actually, which, which personified what I've been thinking for probably most of my life, but I had never read about it in a book, which is, it's a book called Dark Horse. And it just came out actually in the last year. And it's, it's all about people who are considered dark horses. Um, so the person who like drop out of high school because they got pregnant senior year and they have had dead end jobs for years and years and years, and they don't know if they're ever going to get out of this situation, who then suddenly look at the stars one night because they happen to be visiting their aunt and uncle out in the country, and they become so obsessed with the, um, with the planets that they become an amateur astro astron- astronomer, astrophysicist. Mm-hmm with no college and no graduate degrees to the point now where they are hired by observatories all over the world because they're one of the only uh, citizens who are not trained in this, who have actually discovered stars and planets. Wow. That's like the first example they give in the book. Um, And there's many, many other examples because these two researchers basically went and found dark horses all over the world and interviewed them. And when I read that book in January, I was just amazed. And I just realized that uh, I could relate so much to the dark horse. And um, those are the kind of people that I like to work with too. And so that actually helped propelled me to think about like, if you, if you're so interested in the career stuff and you've always been interested in the career stuff, um, why don't you go back to helping people with their careers in addition to continuing your writing? Cause I, I, mm-hmm. I wanted something that I could do. Um, with my writing because my writing is very isolating and I, and I do like working with people and helping them. And so I thought, okay, once I read dark horse, it just, it just made sense to me. But um, I can see how like people who 
uh, yeah, if they're constantly getting those messages from people around them or from society saying, you have to specialize, you have to specialize. And I, I thought that for a long time, even though um, I couldn't make myself really uh, do it for very long. Over time, I became very specialized in certain fields, but it was never just one field. Um, but deep down, really deep down, if you really went down deep, I kept thinking that there's nothing wrong with being this way. I don't know why other people don't get it. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I, I, I hope I totally understand. <laughs> yeah, I hope more people who have this type of personality trait who are born into this will realize that too, that there's nothing wrong with you being this way. I, I think one of the benefits, and it's, it's probably a a hard thing to say, or not a very nice thing to say of this whole pandemic situation, despite the loss of life, obviously, and just the turmoil that this situation is causing us globally, I would love to believe that one of the benefits that will come from this is that people that have been suppressing their their desire and their natural ability to pursue and be a, and have multiple things in their lives that they're going to rediscover and finally connect with that part of themselves and know that one you kind of don't have a choice at this stage because you're going to have to create a new normal that may be several different things several different layers and not just one field I think now we have the power, we're gaining the power to pursue that more than ever because we don't really have a choice, you know? Yep. So I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm hopeful that in one, on one hand, I have friends that are saying, no, don't let them discover it because then they're competition. <laughs> <laughs> but, but my thinking is, no, we need to grow globally because this needs to be the new system of things you know, the new approach to life and living and career, throw away the old because it's kind of dead anyway. We're seeing that we have the ability to thrive, not being, you know, in these traditional positions. And so, you know, who's to say that even even though you say that your your business is relatively new, how it will morph and change given this new dynamic is it is exciting. I'm excited to see how things may change for you. Mm, thank you. Thank you. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. I, I, I hope that um, one of the silver linings of the pandemic uh, will be that people, people really slow down because they're forced to slow down and they really think mm-hmm. about what do I really want in life? Because after this pandemic is contained, I can actually, you know, go out and do, you know, get it, get, see my friends and family and like actually go out to, you know, restaurants again and all that. And I I need to go back to my job. Um, If there are, if they feel like any part of that isn't right, I'm hoping that they will spend the time during this shelter in place period to really think Mm -hmm. about what do I really want? Not what everyone expects me to do or what I'm supposed to do, but deep down, even if it sounds wacky, because almost always it, it does sound wacky to you, uh, mm-hmm. but deep down, my deep down desires, what, what are they telling me to do? Uh, that's, that's the key right there. There's going to be some, some new and funky things that come out of this time. And I love it. You know, it's like, I'm, I'm the little girl at the circus 
who I don't necessarily want to see the clowns and all the normal <laughs> stuff. I want to see like the weird stuff that everyone else is going, ooh, what's that? I'm like, yeah, bring it. I want to see it. <laughs> I hope people bring it. I hope people let let their uh, freak flag fly because we need more of that. In fact, that's that's what we need in order to make new discoveries and to have innovation is if people really tap into their unique parts of themselves, the parts that they, they might be afraid to reveal. That's, that's what's going to help change the future and help us um, be better off as a society. That is so true. So with, with this little bit that we've talked about, do you, what, what would you say to your younger self or someone coming in for advice about pursuing different, different things, different, different career avenues. What, what would you tell them or what would you tell your younger self? Um, it's a good question. And, and, um, someone had asked me this before in a different interview and my answer is still the same as what I told her, which is listen to yourself more than you listen to other people. Mm. Now, some might argue like, oh, but you have to listen to other people, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, I know really? I get that. You have to listen it, listen to everyone so that you can then learn things, right? That makes total sense. Like you just collect a lot of things from other people and you really listen to them. But in the end, when you make your own decision, the thing that matters the most is you listening to yourself, so even if you do ask other people, other trusted people for their opinion, that's totally fine. I do it all the time. Um, in the end, even if your deep down desire goes against those trusted people's opinions, mm -hmm. um, that's okay. It's actually okay. Especially if you realize deep down that it, it really feels right, even though you can't logically explain why it feels right. Usually you can't actually it's you're tapping into your intuition. You're tapping into your deepest wisest self. And that self is telling you what you need to do. Even if it seems wacky, it seems illogical. It seems impractical. Um, if it really truly is coming from your core, then that is the thing to do. And um, I, I, I would say the same thing to my younger self and, I think occasionally my future self did come back to my younger self and tell her that through various ways, through various signs. But a lot of times I didn't listen, unfortunately, <laughs> and mm -hmm. got myself in trouble. But um, uh, thankfully, in my 40s, I started listening to myself more. And I would say really it's been the last two or three years that um, that I've truly, truly listened. Uh, so that's really actually one of my top missions when I work with people is, yes, it's about career. That's why people hire me. But in the end, it's really about me listening to them deeply uh, mm -hmm. so that they can deeply listen to themselves. Nice. I like that. I, I hope that's your tagline because that's good. That's good stuff. <laughs> I'll write that down. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a sec for that because I wouldn't want to lose that either. <laughs> okay. Thank you. So plaid frog press, press with your husband, Marcus, mm -hmm. and your pal, Froggy, please <laughs> tell me about pal, Froggy, and uh, plaid frog press. <laughs> so 
Okay, so Plaidfrog Press is named after my stuffed frog that um, that I made uh, with my mom when I was four years old, and um, uh, basically the way my mom was a seamstress, she was really good at making all kinds of things. And so when I was a little kid, she told my brother and I, whoever can cut these little pieces of fabric, like remnants that she had into the stuffing for their stuffed animal first gets their animal made first. Um, recently when I talked to her about it, she's like, why didn't I just go and buy that, you know, that fluffy stuff that you get at the fabric store, you know, the polyester mm-hmm. fill. She's like, why didn't I just buy that instead of making you guys cut up all those little pieces of fabric? And I'm like, I don't know. But every, every day after, you know, preschool, I'd run home and I, I cut up little pieces of fabric until I filled up a big bag um, of stuffing. And so she made my frog first. And because it was the seventies, of course, my frog is, uh, is plaid. <laughs> oh, that was adorable. <laughs> and of course his name is froggy. Cause what else would you name him when you're four? Um, and so I've had him for most of my life and, um, he has a very interesting personality, all his own. And so, um, when Marcus and I were talking about starting our own indie publishing company, just so we could publish our own stuff, just so we could have a, basically have a name behind all of our stuff. Um, I said, you know, I want to name it Platfrog Press after Froggy and I want Froggy on the logo. And, uh, my husband just, he just was really into it. And he was like, I really want to publish my stuff under Platfrog Press too. And I was like, yeah, but you're a photographer and you're going to do all these photography things. I'm like, does that really go with children's literature and this and that? And <laughs> I don't know. Is that going to muddy the brand? And it was silly. It was silly. Cause I'm like, it's our brand. We can make it whatever we want. And so, so now we publish, um, basically it's, it's just, it's only a few months old. We, we launched it last December. And so, um, right now on, in the shop, you'll find the contenders, which is my illustrated middle grade novel, which is illustrated by Aaron Kubo, who's an excellent illustrator I met through Twitter, but who happens to live five minutes, five to 10 minutes away from me by total chance. Um, it includes uh, my latest book, which is actually more the size of a zine. It's about 25 pages, uh, Rebel Millionaire, which is a how-to book on how to how to retire as a millionaire, even if you've had a million jobs like I have and have only gotten paid um, 27K a year on average. And then um, Marcus's book actually just arrived today. Marcus has been working on this book for several years now. It's a travel photography for everyone. Um in Iceland. And so um, it's a whole book about how to improve your photography using um, very simple, simple, easy to learn skills that professional photographers use. But all the examples that he uses in it are from our trip to Iceland um, a few years ago. And so um, that's what we have on the shop right now. And then we also have some stickers. And then we're going to be doing um, other books and zines and cards later on but it's been really fun actually to work on something together because even though we're both creatives we haven't we haven't really done a project together so doing platform press where we get to you know work on our own stuff but then publish it together and and mail it out and do all that and make decisions on things like that for the company it, it's been really actually a lot of fun 
Now that sounds really, really cool. Um, I, I'm going to have to take a closer look at that. I know I glanced very quickly at it and I just was like, oh, this is for kids. That's cute. But now that I, I hear that, I'll, I'll dive into a little bit more. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention, we were talking about Jazz and Lauren, but Jazz has been so pro- prolific on Twitter in talking about your newsletter. Mm. And that, do you do them by hand? Yes, I, I I recently just started writing and drawing all my newsletters by hand, and what? yeah, because I just like doing that. And so, because I didn't, I I did email newsletters for about five years, and I just after a while, I'm like, you know, I just don't really like doing these that much. I like communicating with my with my readers, um, but I, I just wasn't really into the email newsletter, and so. Um, Actually, my membership with ConvertKit, which is what I had been using, was coming up, and I was like, you know, I don't, I don't really. Want, it was actually, it's a great program, but I'm like, I don't really want to pay for it again because I don't really want to do email newsletters. And so I decided to turn it into a snail mail newsletter, actually mailed to you in the mail, and I got the first issue out in January, and people, people really liked it. And then the pandemic hit, and so <laughs> my next issue in March, I actually ended up having to. Um, uh, scan it and then send it out over email as a PDF because uh, I couldn't go to the copy store because they were all closed. So, wow. but it's um, I'm actually gonna. It's funny you should mention it because I'm gonna post the March issue actually t- tonight. So basically, if you subscribe to it, you will be the first to receive it either through email or eventually through snail mail once the pandemic has been contained and we can actually go to copy stores again. Um, but about maybe one to two weeks after I release it to my subscribers, I do actually post the PDF on my blog so that people who aren't subscribed can read it. Um, Yeah. It's a lot of fun. That sounds so awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I love doing it. I really, um, I think people can feel it too, because that's the feedback I've been getting when they look at my newsletter, they write back and say, it's so it's fun to read. Um, this last one was full of color because I didn't have to copy it. So I'm like, I'm going to make it in color so that, you know, I can do whatever I want. Cause I'm not paying for color copies. People really love the colors. Um, they said it, it just gave them a real shot of, of, um, lightness and, and joy to be able to read something that was handwritten, hand drawn. So I, yeah, I plan on keep on just, keeping on doing it as long as I can. And hopefully that'll be my main way of communicating with my, with my readers on a regular basis. Well, I will say that I agree with you on the whole newsletter thing, because one, I, I don't want to curate news stuff. Right. And I think traditionally that's what newsletters were meant to do. Mm. You know, so it's like, if, if, if I have a newsletter and it's going to be about news, would it be about writing news? Would it be health news? Would it be midlife news? Like, I don't want to do that. (laughs) And especially that's not the kind of stuff that I write anyway. So I had um, something I was doing years ago that was just really connecting with family and friends called life letters, you know, not newsletters, but life letters so that I, they would stay up to date with what was going on in my life, which always seems to be a lot. Anyway, so with, with real talk, because essentially I'm, I'm just sending out, sending what I've written or sending something that I've 
read or that I thought was interesting, it still really falls under the category of life letters. It's not this traditional thing. So I, I totally, you know, a cat, she has muse letters, which I thought was just freaking adorable because it's things that she's finding that, you know, amuse her. And so even this idea, this concept of newsletters, I think is changing for a lot of people that want to, like you say, really connect with their readers and really connect with people who have opted to, you know, mm-hmm. give you my email address. It's a very intimate thing. It's, you know, I, I, a lot of people I maybe don't realize and take that for granted that that's a big deal. When someone, when someone agrees to give you their email, they're saying you're welcome into my living room every single day for as, for as often as you send me something, you're welcome into my home, you know, and that I don't take that lightly. So I don't, I wouldn't want to put something out that I wouldn't want to receive myself because I'm not so big on newsletters unless there's like really awesome ones like yours is. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. That I agree with you that when someone gives you their email, you have to treat it with, with the utmost of respect, because like you said, you're, they're allowing you into that inbox, which could be something that they're, yeah, they're reading in their bedroom, they're reading on the couch, you're coming into their personal life. And so whatever you put out there, make sure it's something that you, that you enjoy putting out there. And that's one of the things I've realized as I've continued on this entrepreneurial path is, is I've been doing a lot of things that were recommended by people who run businesses and write business books and blogs. And um, it was really at the start of this year that I just said, you know, I just, I just, my word for the year for 2020 is radical, both radical as in that's totally rad, but also radical as in um, complete change, complete overhaul. Because I'm like, I just don't want to do things for my business that annoy me and irritate me. Because if I want to do that, I could just get a well-paying job (laughs) where someone pays me to come in every day and like work well later after the pandemic. (laughs) It's like, that's the caveat for everything. Right. Um, And I don't, you know, I can, I can get paid whether I want to get paid or not. Whereas when you run a business, as you know, sometimes you don't feel like working on something. Yeah. You're not getting paid. Um, Mm -hmm. and so it's so much easier just to have a job rather than running a business, running a business is, is a whole nother can of worms. And so I'm like, if I'm going to run this business and I'm going to keep being self-employed after being self-employed for almost nine and a half years, I have to actually shape it way more now to my own personality, to the things that I like to do, even if they sound odd and wacky to other people, it's the same with being a multi-potentialite. And so I'm like, yes, other people would be like, I would never write a newsletter by hand because one, my writing is atrocious. And two, I don't even like doing that. But for me, I actually like it. My writing is, it's legible. It's quite legible. Um, I really enjoy it. I actually don't, I don't draft my letter ahead of time. Just like, you know, with this podcast, you just record the podcast. I actually just write it. I just write it. And um, yes, if there's a misspelling, then I'll obviously, you know, correct that with a little white out. But generally, I just write it because when I write stuff for fun, and I draw stuff on there for fun, it, it really captures more of what I'm feeling and what I want to tell my readers. So I don't sit there and craft it on the computer like I used to for my emails, my email newsletters, it's way more free and improv. And it's way more enjoyable for me. And so that's just one example of like what I'm trying to do this year to really connect my business with who I am as a person. 
I love that. I love that. So with as much enjoyment as you get out of that, surely you have a guilty pleasure. Like how do you decompress when you're not working? <laughs> um, let's see. I, I work on my two gardens. I have a, uh, Marcus and I have a container garden here at the house. And then we also have a, uh, a plot at the city pea patch. So there's pea patches all over Seattle and, um, they're like public, they're not, yeah, they're public gardens that anyone can visit, but you have to apply to get one of the plots. And so we've been doing that for about five years. They're actually hard to get into because there's a very long waiting list. So we're lucky we got in five years, five years ago. And so we, we like to uh, plant vegetables and, and dahlias and other things like that. Um, that's really been really helpful for me to work on the garden because it's just fun to see things grow, but it's also very therapeutic to um, get my hands in the soil and like turn something from weeds to something beautiful or edible. Really feel good. Yeah, what, what do you have in there that's edible? Um, we plant, oh gosh, lettuces, carrots, cucumbers, red peppers. One year we did a pumpkin, a pretty big pumpkin patch. Um, uh, which actually surprisingly with only like, you know, we only have like 90, is it 90 square feet? So it's like, it's like the patch is like a, it's about maybe seven feet across and maybe 12 feet long. So it's like kind of a long skinny patch, but you'd be surprised at how much you can grow. We grew six pumpkins one year on that little patch along with everything else. We just, we just trailed the pumpkin through it. You know, (laughs) we just kept moving the, the, the vine, the leaves so it wouldn't get tangled and other stuff. Um, So yeah, I really like garden therapy. That's really been a a joy in the last five years. And then um, I like to read a lot. Uh, I read, I, you know, I I was listening to your podcast where you were talking about um, what shows you like on Netflix and Hulu and stuff. And I finally canceled our Netflix this year after having it for almost, I've had Netflix for like 17 years. Like whenever they started Netflix, that same year was when I signed up. And I finally let it go. And um, because of that, we now read maybe two to three hours every day. And I have to say, I love it. I never actually got enough reading in in the past because I'd always be doing other things, even though I love to read. But it wasn't until I actually said goodbye to Netflix and and just decided that I just wasn't going to spend time on it. I I will rent a movie if it's something I want to see, but generally I just don't. I... um, I don't spend time on it every day that I have a lot of time to read. And it's really been really fun. And again, really therapeutic for me to read a lot every day. Well, mind you, I, I asked for a guilty pleasure and you gave me the PG version. So we're going to save the the X rated for the bonus track. Okay. Well, is there really, I mean, I don't really know if I believe in guilty pleasures. I think everything that gives you pleasure should be like, you know, it shouldn't be guilty, right? <laughs> it should be good. Well, <laughs> well okay. <I> know. <laughs> okay, we'll see you for the bonus track. Well, we'll get we'll get into that because I know, I'm sure that there is one or two, oh, but yeah, I'll yes. say <laughs> So with everything that you have going on, being an author and an advisor and working with your husband, you have so much what else is on the horizon for you? Uh, right now I am 
taking a short story class um, for the next couple months. So I'm really looking forward to actually writing some short stories, something I've always wanted to do. And um, if one of them turns out well, then I hope to publish it through Plaidfrog Press and have it and illustrate it as well. And then I have a bunch of book ideas that I've written down that I just haven't decided which one to work on next. But it's probably going to be nonfiction. Um, even though I love fiction, it's probably going to be nonfiction because I enjoyed writing Rebel Millionaire so much that I feel like the next book is also going to be nonfiction. So look out for that. Okay. How long, like, do you give yourself a certain amount of time to, to write or whatever comes just comes? I used to give myself a lot of deadlines and, um, it helped when I was working and I had just a lot of other things I was trying to keep on top of, but I've noticed since I became a full-time writer in the last four years that it actually doesn't help me as much to have really, really solid deadlines. So I have like a general deadline for myself of when, when I want to get something done, but I don't, I don't quantify it on a day-to-day basis. So I don't tell myself, Oh, you have to write this amount or you have to write down this many words. I don't do that anymore and haven't for a while. And if I miss my deadline, it's okay. As long as I feel like I'm actually making progress. Um, but I find that actually when I give myself a little bit more wiggle room and freedom that the writing comes out better. And, um, and I usually do hit my deadline with, within a few weeks, which I think is totally fine. Hmm. That seems like quick. (laughs) Oh, you mean like, um, sorry, let me clarify that. I mean, like it takes me, it can take me months to actually create something, but the deadline that I hit is within that range. So it could be a novel that takes me a whole year to write, or it could be um, a nonfiction 25 page book that took me like rebel millionaire took me four months to, to write, illustrate and finish the final. Um, but like contenders took me um, about nine months to plan it. Cause I was working full time while I was planning it. And then it took me maybe a couple of months to write it the first draft. And then a few more months to write the second draft. And then an adult uh, mystery that I wrote recently took me almost three years to write and, and I'm still not finished with it. So wow. it really varies. Wow. Well, I will have to dive into some of your work because I have to say that there are so many writers that I'm connected with, and I'm sure that you are too, writers and authors and whatnot, but there are few that I really connect with and, and feel like, wow, I get that, or that resonates with me, or I can't wait to see what they write next. And you're one of them. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of went through some of your blog posts and I was like, yeah, yeah, she's she's my people. So <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm looking forward to reading more from you. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Peg. I know, again, we have busy lives even under the circumstances. So I really appreciate you taking the time with me today. Thank you, Joy. This was such a pleasure. And I feel so great right now after talking with you. So the pleasure was all mine. Fantastic. And and let my listeners know, where should they go to find out more about working with you and reading your work? You can find everything that I do at pegchang.com, and that's P-E-G-C-H-E-N-G.com. You'll find links to my blog, my newsletter, Platform Press, 
career advising, the whole shebang. So just head over to pegchain.com. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks everyone for listening and we'll chat again soon.